Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. We use them. They're great. And you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guest Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion about Supreme Court cases from the last term, including uh, cases on abortion. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. He'll be joining us as well. It is August the 17th, and on this day in 1998, President Bill Clinton became the first sitting president to testify before the Office of Independent Counsel as the subject of a grand jury investigation. The testimony came after a four-year investigation into Clinton and his wife Hillary's alleged involvement in several scandals, including accusations of sexual harassment, potentially illegal real estate deals, and suspected cronyism involved in the firing of White House travel agency personnel. What a scandal that was, my goodness. The independent prosecutor, Ken Starr, Kenneth Starr, I should say, then uncovered an affair between Clinton and the White House intern named Monica Lewinsky. When questioned about the affair, Clinton denied it which led uh, Starr to charge the president with perjury and obstruction of justice, which in turn prompted his testimony on August the 17th. It's, it's always the cover-up, isn't it? After testifying, Clinton addressed the nation live via television and gave his side of the story. He admitted to an inappropriate relationship with Lewinsky and said he regretted misleading his wife and the American people when he denied the affair earlier. He insisted that he had given legally accurate <laughs> Attorneys, right? Answers in his testimony that at no time had he given anyone a lie, hide, or destroy evidence or taking on any unlawful action. In addressing, it depends on what the definition of is is, right? In addressing the investigation of his past business dealings, Clinton insisted that the investigation did not prove that he or his wife Hillary had engaged in any illegal activity. Nothing to see here, right? The damage, however, was already done. Revelations about the investigation sparked a battle in Congress on whether to impeach Clinton. While Democrats favored censure, Republicans called loudly for impeachment, claiming Clinton was unfit to lead the country. In December 1998, the House of Representatives voted to impeach the president. But after a five-week trial in the Senate, Clinton was acquitted. Public opinion polls at the time revealed that while many people disapproved of Clinton's extramarital affair, which he conducted on the White House uh, Oval Office, most did not consider it an action worthy of impeachment or his resignation. Bill Clinton. <laughs> Unbelievable. That all happened in 1998. Well, the big news today is our, the results from some of the primaries and some of the highlights of Republican Representative Liz Cheney. Uh, I don't know if they allow her to call herself a Republican in Wyoming, but nevertheless has been defeated after spending the last few years smearing, attacking, and going after former President Donald Trump. Trump-backed Harriet Hageman has been declared the winner over Cheney in Tuesday's Wyoming uh, Republican primary. In recent comments, Cheney appeared to have accepted her defeat as a personal price paid in order to realize her ultimate objective of ensuring President never... Uh, President Trump w would never again win the presidency. Uh, Liz Cheney told, uh, took aim at Hageman for her strong support of Trump and claiming that the 2020 election was rigged. She said, like many candidates across the country, my opponents in Wyoming have said that the 2020 election was rigged and stolen. No one who understands our nation's laws, no one who has an honest, honorable, genuine commitment to our Constitution would say that it's a cancer that threatens our great republic. Boy, is she out of touch. Anyhow, that's the hill she chose to die on. She's still going to be going after uh, President Trump. She says she's going to continue that fight. Quite frankly, she uh, lost her seat in Congress, and she's going to lose her fight against Trump, too. She's just going to disappear into the ash heap of history, quite frankly, in my opinion. Also incumbent U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski and her Republican challenger, Kelly Shibaka, I should say, and Democrat Patricia Chesbro 
will advance to the general election in November as projected winners of the Alaska-ranked choice primary on August 16th. What that means is whether you're Democrat or Republican, top three candidates uh, end up going on the ballot in November, whether they're Democrat or Republican. Well, with 50% of the ballots counted, Murkowski had 43%. Shibaka had 42%. In a special election to, to fill the vacant seat of the late U.S. Representative Don Young, uh, Republican from Alaska until January, Democrat Mary Peltola currently leads with 37%, with Republican Sarah Palin trailing with 33%. And uh, there's another guy who had 29%. But uh, Peltola is currently ahead with 35% in the open primary, which is for a two-year seat in the Alaska uh, District 1 in the House. Trump endorsed Palin has 32%. So these are simultaneous elections going on. One is to fill the seat until January, and one is to take over the seat in January. I would imagine it'll probably end up being the same person. But nevertheless, those those are some of the highlights of the election. I'm sure uh, Andy Joppa will have something to say about this later in uh, the show. Well, President Joe Biden signed a $430 billion climate spending bill on Tuesday, insisting it would fight inflation. The whole bill is about $760 billion, apparently. He arrived from his vacation in South Carolina. He left South Carolina at about 11.50 in the morning, got there in time to sign the bill around 3.30, and guess what? (laughs) He left the White House at 7 p.m. Why? He's going to go on vacation again in Delaware. Unbelievable. I don't. I don't think he uh, answered any questions. Well, uh, like for example about Del uh, Marlago and what happened uh, in the raid there. But while at the signing, here's what he had to say: We're cutting deficits to fight inflation by having the wealthy and big corporations finally pay their fair share. I'm not kidding. He really said that. Biden said in the signing ceremony at the White House, the bill raises the corporate minimum uh, tax to 15 percent and spends more money on bolstering the ability of the IRS to enforce taxes. In other words, money to harass the little guy. Biden admitted he had been waiting a long time to finally sign the bill that uh, began as his multi-trillion dollar Build Back Better agenda before the senators in his own party rejected it, by the way. The bill spent uh, spends $386 billion on green energy subsidies and tax credits and spends about $98 billion on propping up Medicare. And now I'm going to take action I've been looking forward to for 18 months, he said in his speech, moving to the signing table. The president pointedly gave his signing pen to Senator Joe Manchin, kind of a peace pipe between the two, and shook his hand despite the early role the West Virginia senator played in blocking his proposals. Uh, Biden promoted the bill as a major success and even implicitly criticized the media for their skepticism about his past agenda. He said, today we often will confuse noise with substance. Too often we confuse setbacks with defeat. Too often we hand the biggest microphones to the critics and the cynics who delight in declaring failure, while those committed to real progress do the hard work of governing. I'm not kidding. He really said that. I wonder where he plagiarized it. Unbelievable. Anyhow, the president tried to sell his uh, recent legislative successes as part of an extraordinary story that Democrats were crafting in Washington, D.C. during his presidency, where in a season of substance, he boasted, (laughs) pointing to the choice that Americans would make in November. During a speech, Biden mistakenly criticized the big Trump companies for opposing his bill, but corrected himself by saying the big drug companies instead. Today proves the soul of America is vibrant, he said. Yeah, not kidding. Uh, By the way, if you buy an electric vehicle, the average cost is $62,893. You may be eligible for a tax credit of up to $7,500 until the year 2032. As an addendum, Ford announced a price increase of its electric cars to by $8,500. So, so much for that, huh? That's inflation. Of course, this bill is supposed to fight inflation, but it does anything but. That kind of money flowing back into the economy, money that we don't have, so it's being printed, it's going to cause inflation. Well, last week, Joe Biden told Americans that inflation rate was zero. That was a pretty bold-faced lie. The current Biden inflation rate is 8.5%. This is a 40-year high. A new report found that Biden inflation is costing American households an extra $717 a month. It's a national crisis. The uh, figure of $8,607 per family per year 
President Biden, who's been on the defense for months over skyrocketing prices, lauded the cooler-than-expected report as evidence that inflation may be getting to moderate. But experts have cautioned that inflation remains abnormally high and could take months or even years to return to pre-pandemic levels. Joe Biden. Well, I mean, he didn't major in economics, though. Obviously, he probably doesn't understand how this works. Former President Donald Trump will likely not be arrested on charges stemming from the FBI's raid last week, according to former Harvard Law School professor Alan Dershowitz. Yes, it's possible, but I don't think it's going to happen, he said. People who believe the prosecution and the indictment would keep Trump away from the 2024 campaign are dead wrong, he remarked. Now, this is interesting. This is what he said. He can run for president even if he's indicted, convicted, and wearing striped shirts, prison garb, he added to the channel. The Constitution provides only four bases for disqualification for president, and being convicted of a crime is not one of them. Congress can't charge the criteria, can't change the criteria that's in the Constitution for the election of the president. That from Alan Dershowitz. He ought to know. So uh, that assuages one of my concerns because I thought that might be the intent uh, that the, the Democrats, that would be their October surprise. But that's not going to work. Echoing statements made by Trump and some Republicans, Dershowitz said the affidavit used to justify the FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago should be released. You can redact the names of agents, you can redact sources and methods, but what we want to know is what is the basis of probable cause they have, he said. A U.S. magistrate in the case, Bruce Reinhardt, uh, ordered the unsealing of the warrant and, project, and property receipt. The warrants show Trump is under federal investigation for possibly several U.S. code violations, while the receipt shows agents found allegedly classified and top-secret material at Trump's home. Reinhardt scheduled a Thursday hearing on whether the affidavit and other materials related to the case should be released. I certainly believe they should. That will clear up a lot for us. Lawyers from the Department of Justice on Monday argued that releasing the affidavit would damage the agency's investigation and argued that unsealing a version would, with redactions would not serve any public interest. Nothing's to see here, <laughs> they claim. Well, we all want to see it. You're dead wrong about that. Several media outlets, watchdogs, and other entities have filed motions to release the affidavit. Disclosure of the government's affidavit at this stage would also likely chill future cooperation by witnesses whose assistance may be sought at the, as the investigation progresses, as well as in other high-profile investigations, the Justice Department wrote. The fact that this investigation implicates high-classified materials, highly classified materials, further underscores the need to protect the integrity of the investigation and exacerbates the potential harm of information is disclosed to the public prematurely or improperly. Nothing to see here, says the FBI. The former president on Monday uh, said the FBI agent should took three passports from him and uh, before a spokesperson confirmed that a Department of Justice official said, hey, wait a minute, they were returned. No big deal here. Hours later, he called for the Justice Department to release the affidavit, which would provide insight into why the Department of Justice believes it is justified in trying to obtain the search warrant. There's no other way to justify the unannounced raid of Bar-a-Lago. So there you go. I mean, this is just, these are unbelievable times. The uh, FBI, CIA, or the, the uh, Department of Justice, uh, certainly weaponized and politicized. It's so unfortunate. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also bright by, brought, brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. 
What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, uh, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more. And uh, get download the app by visiting choicesocial.us, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and author and also chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. and focused on free markets private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. Well, we uh, last week we uh, were talking about Roe v. Wade, the overturning of Roe v. Wade with the uh, uh, Dobbs decision. Uh, it's pretty rare, isn't it, for the Supreme Court to overrule its past precedents? Well, the media represented that it was rare, but actually the court has overruled more than 300 of its own huh. cases. The longest period between uh, the original decision and the overruling decision was 136 years, and the shortest uh, was 11 months. Wow. So it, it, here, here are just a few recent, well-known uh, reversals. 1954, of course, Brown versus Board of Education integrated the schools. 63, Gideon v. Wainwright established the right to legal counsel for defendants who can't afford uh, to hire a lawyer. 66, the Miranda decision <clears throat> guaranteed that accused parties could uh, be silent and ask for an attorney uh, during interrogations. 76, Greg versus Georgia reinstated capital punishment. 2003, Lawrence v. Texas uh, threw out criminal prosecutions for gay sex. 2010, the famous or infamous, depending on your point of view, Citizens United case, which allowed independent campaign expenditures uh, by corporations and unions. Uh, 2015, the Obergefell decision secured a fundamental right to same-sex marriage. 2018, the Janus decision, uh, which barred unions from taking agency fees from their public sector uh, employees. So, as you can see, uh, these reversals occur fairly regularly, huh. even in cases of major uh, significance. And the left, which was so eager to complain about uh, Roe v. Wade, is equally eager to advocate for the reversal of 
for example, Citizens United. Yeah. yeah that's so interesting. What about, it just dispels the myth, doesn't it, about uh, uh, past president. Did, uh, yeah. did uh, Trump's three court uh, appointees, the justices, associate justices, promise to honor the Roe v. and Casey precedents? Not quite. Each of them <clears throat> left a little bit of wiggle room. Uh, during Gorsuch's confirmation, uh, Durbin asked Gorsuch uh, <clears throat> if he agreed that a fetus is not a purpose, a, a person, <clears throat> under the 14th Amendment. And Gorsuch replied, uh, and this is a quote, he said, that's the law of the land, I accept the law of the land. Of course, accepting the current law is not the same as committing not to change the law if right. it's wrong. Um, Kavanaugh uh, stated, and again, a quote, he said, as a general proposition, I understand the importance of the precedent set in Roe. And then when Feinstein pushed him, he added that Roe and Casey had, quote, uh, been affirmed many times. Casey is precedent on top of precedent. Well, again, you know, Kavanaugh recognized the precedent, but he fell short of pledging not to overrule it. Barrett was even more uh, circumspect. She claimed that Roe was not a super president because neither Roe nor Casey uh, is, and again, a quote, so well established that no political actors and no people seriously push for their overruling. Uh, Roe is not a case that everyone has accepted. So, you know, I think it's fair to conclude that any one of Trump's appointees would be uh, – reneging uh, on assurances. I, I don't think it's fair to conclude that that they made during their confirmation. I think at most their statements were equivocal and they were somewhat cryptic, but yeah. far short of a pledge. Yeah, devil's in the details, right? you got to really listen hard. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. So uh, Chief Justice Roberts would not have overturned Roe and Casey. What was his logic? He concurred in the judgment. Uh, which is saying he agreed with the outcome, but for different reasons. He he said the court should take a more measured approach. Uh, the viability standard under K Casey, he didn't think was entitled to uh, stare decisis, respect for precedent, because, it, you know, it's dependent on medical advances, which have nothing to do right. uh, with the fetus. Uh, so he would simply have upheld the Mississippi statute which gave a woman three months to obtain an abortion, which he didn't consider to be a not, a, an undue burden. And, and therefore, it was not, he didn't believe, a reason to overturn Roe and Casey. Uh, by the way, Florida's new law um, back in July uh, adopted also bans abortions after 15 weeks, with exceptions for rape and incest, although DeSantis says uh, he may push uh, for more restrictions in light of the uh, of the Dobbs ruling, hmm. but so far it's a 15 week yeah. uh, regime in Washington in uh, Florida. Well, apparently, some states around Florida now Florida's they are claiming that Florida is becoming a, a abortion destination because of the 15 week rule. Kind of interesting. You know, interesting. Roe was a trimester rule, if you remember. Uh huh. A trimester is 13 weeks. So it's it's puzzling to me why this. Uh, hand-wringing over a 15-week standard. Now, it's true that after 15 weeks, the Florida law gives no protection, whereas Roe gave a little bit of protection in the second trimester. But the major portion of the protection under Roe was 13 weeks. Yeah. The major portion of the protection under the Florida law is even longer. That's so interesting. So what's going to be the political or legal aftermath of the Dobbs decision? Politically, in my view, I, I don't pretend to be an expert on this. I think the Dems, the Democrats are going to benefit in the, meet, in the midterms uh, by Rose reversal. Uh, the Republican pace, base was already pretty motivated, and the Democrats were not, and now they seem to be more uh, motivated. That'll, that would increase Democratic turnout. Um, it's happened already in some of the primaries. And more important, uh, I think the focus shifts a little bit from inflation, border control, crime, education, uh, Biden's competency. It shifts from those issues, which are good for Republicans, 
uh, uh, good for them, uh, yeah, for Republicans, it shifts to the abortion issue, which is a political loser, I think, for uh, for conservatives. So the, le- the legal aftermath is that down the road, about half the states have either these trigger laws or so-called zombie laws. Uh, trigger laws are designed to take effect when Roe is overturned, and the zombie laws, they've already been declared invalid pursuant to Roe. So they'll be reactivated uh, now that Roe is gone. Uh, most of the remaining states have enacted uh, varying degrees of abortion rights that are not too dissimilar from from the Roe regime. That's so interesting. I, I, I personally think that the, uh, the uh, half-life of the abortion issue for Democrats is going to wane over time. Uh, but uh, you may be right that it may have. Yeah, and, and you could be as well. I'm, like I say, I don't pretend to be a expert on those political issues. Yeah, but, it, it seemed that the turnout was benefited in the primaries. But it's a long way till November. It is Bob Levy again, chairman of the Cato Institute, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa, uh, author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratostel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and also building a beautiful 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So uh, we had some primaries yesterday. Be, be eager to get your feedback. Well, I mean, the anticipation of Liz Cheney getting uh, beaten was was certainly in uh, in in the polls. Uh, she was beaten by, uh, as best I can tell, thirty three points by Harriet Hageman. A very substantial win. I mean, considering she pulled seventy percent of the vote in her last election. So, I mean, obviously, this is a uh, a dramatic falling away, uh, as she is. 
not just disagreed with President Trump, but she has attacked him in the most vicious and vile manner, as far as I'm concerned, uh, uh, this, this describing him as a threat to democracy and the, uh, a serious threat to, uh, to Western civilization, in fact. So, I mean, she, uh, she has gone beyond just disagreement, which could be certainly tolerated and should be tolerated. But the types of comments she's made are, are far beyond the pale in terms of what uh, any, any Republican uh, congressman or congresswoman should, should be allowed to do. In her her concession speech, she uh, essentially accused the Wyoming voters of being ignorant and almost being gullible (laughs) cultists in the uh, adherence to the the Trump uh, America First Party line. Uh, And she also, in her concession speech, amazingly, compared herself to Abraham Lincoln. Uh, who won? The, who lost the Senate race and then won the presidency? And she is apparently on the verge of announcing her candidacy for the for the presidency. I'm I'm not sure the significance that can possibly have, but it's it's touted as somehow big news, good news for some in the on the left. And of course, Larry Hogan uh, Hogan of uh, Maryland is also considering running. And let me just finish this whole running thought that I just had, Bob. I am also going to run for the presidency. So on your on future shows, you can uh, introduce me as a former presidential candidate. Okay, so there, there's my introductory comment on Liz Cheney. Yeah, she's delusional. I mean, I can't, you know. And here's the thing: you you said that she won by lost by about thirty points. What about the crossover voters, the people that registered as Republicans, the Democrats, in in order to pollute the results? I mean, that that's not even included in those numbers. So she lost by a a wider margin. It is very possible she did not receive any Republican votes. I mean, statistically. (laughs) perhaps zero uh, votes. And it, because of what you're saying, these crossover Democrats in, uh, in Wyoming. Uh, but again, I think it was a good thing for America, not just in my, uh, my commitment to Trump, which is fairly obvious to your audience uh, by now, I'm sure, uh, but just the nature of who she is and the, uh, the, the viciousness in which she's proceeded in the January 6th committee hearings, where she's been given a, uh, uh, an illegal title as the, uh, in, the, in that committee. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad she's gone. I, I know the press will try to keep her hanging on as a, uh, as an anti-Trump voice, and that's certainly going to happen. That's the, the media. Uh, but again, I, I think to have her out of Congress in January 2023 will be, will be good news. Yeah. In another election, unless you want to say something else about no, no, let's election. let's move on to uh, Murkowski in, in Alaska. Yeah, I mean the uh, the primaries in in Alaska are open primaries, which means that. Uh, all of the candidates, both Democrat and Republican, run at the same time against each other at the same time. Uh, and the first four candidates, uh, with, I believe, second votes also being tabulated uh, to, the, to the first four voters. In other words, if, if your candidate does not finish in the top four, your second choice, which may be for one of the top four, will be given to them. So, uh, But right now... <clears throat> The vote count is uh, Murkowski uh, is ahead of uh, Shabaka by 43 percent to 41 yep. uh, percent. The third place candidate is at, I believe, 6 percent. The fourth candidate, who would be in the general election now, Bob, uh, has, not, has not been decided. Uh, it's very close between Murkowski and Shabaka. It looks like there'll be uh, about 10 percent of the vote that will be undecided going into the general election. Uh, so it's, it's hard to determine uh, how that will turn out. Uh, it certainly favors Murkowski at this point because of the uh, what I'm going to describe as the available votes in the general election. Uh, but I believe it's uh, Shabaka can certainly pull this off. Mm-hmm. If we look at Sarah Palin, she's in a, com- a comparable position. Uh, she uh, finished second to uh, Mary uh, uh, Potola. Uh, in the uh, congressional race, uh, with 31% of the vote, Patola had 35% of, of the vote. And so th- those four, and I think the, uh, I don't know who the third and fourth are at this point, uh, but those four will go forward. So I believe Sarah Palin has a, a very leg- legitimate chance of winning that congressional seat. Uh, the leading candidate, Patola, is a Democrat. The uh, Sarah Palin, obviously, a Republican. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that plays out, but it's a it's a very interesting uh, open primary process in uh, in Alaska. I think Murkowski, uh, even if she pulls this out, certainly 
uh, showed a substantial decline from her her last senatorial win. So uh, obviously there's been impact of the uh, of her Trump positioning, at least as as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and again, Shabaka can still pull this out. I'm not. Uh, I wouldn't even say it's it's a long shot. I would say the odds favor Murkowski, but Shabaka can get it done in uh, in November. Bob. Yeah, well, the Murkowski family is a political machine, so it would be a big, big victory if, in fact, she does uh, pull it out. By the way, I, I take it uh, just reading between the lines, you're not a big fan of this ranked. Uh, uh, voting process they have in Alaska. That also has also had the same thing in California as, as well. What it can lead to is, for example, all the candidates you're voting for, uh, you can have a choice between a Republican and a Republican or a Democrat or a Democrat. Uh, so I'm not sure I'm in favor of all this this process. I, I've looked at this for several years on and off, and I, 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 I can't come to any firm conclusion. I, I, I do think there's some significance to the fact that a, uh, a candidate may be number one uh, for the, uh, a majority of the voters. But again, it's such a, 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 a dedicated minority that it really doesn't, uh, doesn't have the weight of the full electorate behind it. Whereas another candidate who finishes second but draws the vast majority of the second-place votes, I think that there's some significance to that. Um, but again, I, I, have an affirm, I have an affirm opinion on this. Uh, I think in the, in the uh, senatorial election, I think there were 17, 17 candidates going in. So to try to uh, draw from this a, uh, a reasonable understanding of the, uh, the will of the electorate is, becomes extremely difficult in that situation, Bob. Well, there's no perfect system for sure. Andy, this is probably a good time to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here. Buddy. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. What can you expect at Hodges University? You'll graduate at least one semester faster when you learn from professors who are experts in their field. You can expect a personalized experience with your faculty advisor and student success coach. Hodges University is ranked second for best colleges in Florida by salary after graduation. Hodges University is ranked nationally for best value and best for veterans. Hodges University has been in Southwest Florida for 33 years with over 14,000 graduates. Classes for most programs are online, in evenings, and on the weekends so you can work while you're earning your degree. To get where you want to be in your career, start here at Hodges University. It's where you can stay near and go far. Call 239-938-7700 or visit them at hodges.edu today. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, uh, among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you again for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. 
Thank you, Andy. So uh, if you don't have any other comments about the elections, let's move to the Inflation Reduction Act that uh, the president, by the way, he came back and left uh, South Carolina about noontime, showed up at about 3.30, gave his little speech and signed the bill, and then left the White House at 7 o'clock to go on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> in Delaware. That, of course, makes a big show of getting the signing pen to uh, to Manchin, so I thought that was a, a very dramatic statement, and uh, the silly grin on Manchin's face was sort of annoying to me, but that's, yeah, well, that's my politics. That's, that's a political olive branch, I guess. No no question, no question. A couple of issues before I get to the uh, mis, misnamed Inflation Reduction Act. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of racial issues which are... Uh, bordering on the absurd, but they have a serious implication. Uh, in Minneapolis, the teachers' union uh, and the school district have agreed if there's layoffs to be had among teachers, that the white teachers will go first. Mm -hmm. uh, this is obviously a violation of the equal treatment under the law. Uh, it, this process uh, of using race as the basis for uh, severance uh, was compared to by some as being uh, the same as uh, as using experience or seniority. Uh, now, seniority is not a perfect uh, way of determining the value of a teacher, nope. but it does show experience. It does show commitment. It does show that they they've decided to stay in the profession as compared to race, which has absolutely no educational implication whatsoever. Uh, so for this this teachers union and school district uh, to agree to uh, to fire white teachers first, if that becomes necessary, uh, to me will not stand uh, constitutional muster. But uh, again, another interesting racial issue in America. The other one, which is uh, it's hard to understand, the NFL has been race norming their concussion damage. Uh, issues. In other words, uh, they have been exploring the, the payments that should go to ex-NFL players who show residual damage from concussions while playing football. Mm. The NFL has in fact said that the threshold for uh, African Americans should be higher in terms of that damage because they come in with a lower intellectual standard. And the, F the, the NFL has taken that position to a large extent because government agencies have exactly said the same thing. That is, that uh, African Americans come into various environments with a lower existing standard. Uh, now, this, this to me is absurd that any kind of racial identification would be given to something like this. Uh, but it's, again, Bob, symptomatic of the, uh, of the racial churning that is going on in this country, which uh, I can't imagine that we'll ever escape from, Bob. That's a great point. I mean, yeah, looking at the Na Naples Daily News, the editor uh, was crowing about the fact that, hey, you know what, we've got a diversified workforce and we're so proud of it and we've got every color and every gender and all that type of thing. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, it would be a lot play, uh, more uh, excited about uh, your comments if, in fact, you said, you know what, we've gone out and hired the very best in the business. We've cannibalized the industry to find the best people to work for us. And uh, that, well, instead of seeing a shrinking newspaper, we'd see something that perhaps uh, would uh, be informative. <laughs> I think the and, and Bob, I'm sure you're, you're, you're like me in this, that if the best for the job, let's say any place in America, were all African-Americans or all right. women or all Hispanics or all transgenders, if they were all that and they were the very best, I would not have any problem with that kind of meritocracy resulting in that end result. Right. Uh, so, you know, we're not talking about any kind of, of, of uh, bigotry at all. We're, we're just talking about the necessity in our institutions or anywhere in America uh, to try to get back to a, uh, a meritorious system where the best people for the job are getting the job. That was the, the theme behind equal employment opportunity. Right. Uh, back in the mid-60s when that was put into place, uh, that, that was the theme the best person gets the job race and and gender could not get in the way that was something we all accepted and all agreed to but that didn't work bob it didn't produce the norming numbers that they were looking for at that point bob they went to affirmative action which was basically statistical norming and and that's pretty much where we are now they don't call it that they don't call it uh, uh norming in any in any sense but that is exactly what we're looking at when we talk about diversity i remember just a little while back back, I, uh, I got in, in trouble with one of my classes uh, because I made the point, Bob, that yeah, diversity is okay. 
And I think intellectual diversity is is what we should be talking about. But unity in in our company is what we have to be striving for. We need unity and and diversity. If that contributes to the unity, then I'm all for it. But again, even making the statement, the obvious statement, that unity was an essential characteristic for the well-being of an organization, that uh, created pushback in my classes. Quite, is, quite amazing to me at that point, Bob. It, it is indeed, uh, you know, the focus and distraction. That's just, this uh, identity politics is big distraction away from excellence, and it's uh, affirmative action is one of the biggest problems we've had in America, and uh, we need to get back to a meritocracy. We've heard on and off for, for, for many years that the Supreme Court was going to take take on the issue of affirmative action, which by, by my uh, estimation is, is entirely unconstitutional to, to make race a, a, a variable in the uh, discussion of the uh, distribution of American funds or jobs or uh, anything, anything for that matter, Bob. Uh, it just seems to me the scream, it's, it's unconstitutionality. So, yeah. But I don't think we're going to get there. The, uh, the, the nation is, is too hypersensitive to all these issues at this point. The Supreme Court is not going to be bold enough to take uh, take on affirmative action directly well that's kind of interesting i i thought there's an uh, uh, asian american case against harvard for uh, de- discrimination in uh in uh selection of uh students i think that's going to be in the supreme court next session it could it could be a uh, a game changer I think that was the, uh, the, the suit that involved primarily the rejection of, of high, more highly qualified Asian students right. uh, um, in, in terms of uh, replacing them with African-American students. Uh, that, that case, whether, whether it'll be a bellwether for the entire issue of affirmative action, sometimes the Supreme Court narrows the scope so dramatically that it doesn't serve as a categorical rejection. But we'll, we'll see how they rule on that case, Bob. Uh, it will be so interesting. So, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. What are your thoughts? Well, just in the first place, it's not that. The Congressional uh, <laughs> <clears throat> Budget Office has already indicated that this is going to have significant impact in itself on inflation, raising inflation. Uh, just one, but like, several aspects, but one I want to start out with is the, uh, the, the cap that's been put on insulin co-pays. Uh, and the negotiation uh, of Medicare uh, drug prices. Now, this all sounds good, and it, in itself, uh, with nothing else considered, it is a good. But if we look at the, the issue that might, uh, might uh, have to modify this, it costs approximately uh, $1.7 billion for a drug company to break even on the introduction of a new pharmaceutical product. Yep. $1.7 billion, even slightly higher for antibiotics. The, the sales volume on an antibiotic per year, about $50 million. So let's do the math. Here's a company that's being asked to invest from start to finish $1.7 billion in bringing a, a, a purposeful product to the American marketplace with limited sales, basically limited based on the amount of investment, and now that profit margin, or let's not even call it a profit margin, let's call it the funds that to even uh, cut into the, the expense factor are going to be cut back even further. Uh, it's a real problem in my mind that this might uh, seriously discourage pharmaceutical companies from investing that kind of money in new pharmaceutical development. I hope it doesn't happen, but there's every implication with that particular aspect that it will. That's no question, Andy. I think you hit the nail on the head with that one because it's going to be a long-term effect, and uh, slowly but surely we'll see investment decrease. We'll see new drugs coming out will decrease uh, as a consequence of this. And again, the government getting involved in pricing has no business doing that. should let the free market prevail. But that's just the beginning of the problems that we have with uh, government participating in health care. Andy, again, need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I have nothing else to do about it. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive confident retirement approach, 
You'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to just do a little shout out to Lulu Bee's Diner. I meet Andy there for breakfast every once in a while and look forward to it. Uh, they now have a new Blue Zones inspired menu. You got to check it out as well as uh, uh, new sparkling watermelon soda and watermelon lemonade, all kinds of neat things on this menu. So uh, I hope you'll check out Lulu Bee's Diner, the place that I enjoy for breakfast or lunch right in the. Uh, uh, the shopping center, uh, the Green Green Tree Shopping Center. Uh, Andy uh, uh, Joppa, again, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. And I want to tell your audience that Bob always pays at Lulu. <laughs> not sure why he does. I, I'm thinking I may have to start claiming that as income. I'm yeah, I know, sure. but you know what? We're going to put a stop to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I brought it up, Bob. So, so uh, Andy, uh, it, it, frankly, well, is there anything... Inflation reduction bill. I'm I'm so pleased to hear that the government's going to save me a lot of money when I don't <laughs> buy an electric car. Uh, they've dedicated 270 billion dollars in tax credits for well for manufacturing wind turbines, solar panels, batteries, uh, electric vehicles, and so forth. Uh, and again, it's it's quite amazing. Uh, the uh, the credit for an electric vehicle is going to be seventy five hundred dollars at the same moment almost. Ford raised the price on their electric vehicles by eighty five hundred. So it, it reminds me a lot of when government started to get involved with with educational grants and, and loans and so forth. As soon as those grants and loans went into place, the colleges and universities raised their tuition costs. Right. And this is the same thing where we're seeing or. Uh, right here uh, for the average person who isn't going to use solar panels or buy an electric vehicle uh, this this is a, a non-starter so one can only imagine where that 270 billion dollars is is actually going to go it's not going to go to the average person uh, in my estimation certainly that's true if you look at their claim that no one they're going to add in uh, almost the doubling i think it is the doubling of the uh, irs auditors uh, i think they're going to hire an army of 87 thousand uh, additional uh, IRS orders at a cost of 80 billion dollars um, and they're saying they're going to uh, re- reclaim most or, or gain most of the funding for this bill uh, by in fact uh, tapping into the unpaid taxes illegally I might add <laughs> unpaid taxes of those making over four hundred thousand dollars first of all the supposition that people over four hundred thousand dollars are in fact functioning so illegally that the government can recoup hundreds of millions of dollars in that limited category alone is absolutely amazing. I, I guess it means that somebody who's making 390000 is a is a straight shooter. Yeah. But once you hit $400,000, you are in trouble. The 15% minimum tax on companies uh, with over a billion dollars in revenue, that's going to be a pass-along. Uh, in my estimation, a pass-along. 
that will help itself have additional impact on, on inflation. Right. So, first of all, we have a misnamed bill. Uh, it has uh, dedicated funding for things that are not going to have serious benefit for the average American. Uh, and again, this uh, increase uh, uh, force of 87000 to me beyond the tax auditing potential is a, a worrisome potential to have that number of new new members in the in the federal bureaucracy especially with the level of arms and ammunition that are that are controlled by the IRS bob and speaking of which all this uh, blue green blue uh, 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 the screen uh, energy thing i mean doesn't that mean it's kind of a subsidy to china where do we get the batteries well i mean this this is so poorly considered in terms of the availability of the materials right. uh, for these cars, and certainly it's going to come mostly from China. It has to. It is dubious whether or not uh, uh, they're projecting the, the, the need by 2030 or 2035 of 100 million electric vehicles on the roads of America. The amount of materials needed for that is going to demand uh, that a mining, uh, an exploration mining be established. It's going to hit the environment. If you're concerned with the environment, this, this mining impact is going to be dramatic. Post that, the, uh, the disposal of these, uh, of these contaminants, the, the batteries, as they, as they run down, is, is, is totally ill-considered at this point. Uh, the charging stations are 500000 the projection. Uh, the cost of doing that and the process of doing that is uh, not, even, uh, not even dollared in uh, to budgetary considerations at this point. So um, it's, it's just an amazing um, grouping of issues in general, unrelated to each other in the Inflation Reduction Act. Well, let me let me uh, put a, a cherry and some whipped cream on the top of this thing, too, because, I mean, how, how do you uh, recharge your car? Well, you plug it in, and where do you get – what do they do to create electricity? Well, in, in many cases, it's coal or oil or just a number of uh, things that, have, quite frankly, they're trying to bypass. Well, and there's, there's no doubt that even even now, with the fairly limited uh, number of uh, electric vehicles on the road, that these electric vehicles have been uh, determined to have uh, contributed to brownouts uh, across the country in, yeah. in various locations. You, you talk about uh, increasing the, the numbers on the road by a hundredfold. And, you know, you, jet, you have to dramatically expand your electric grid, and no renewables can possibly do that. As you're talking, saying, Bob, it has to be the fossil fuel power sources. Um, to me, this is just such an ill-considered hoax. And, uh, again, it's another one of these issues. I'm just amazed the American public has not seen the obvious uh, fraud in this entire process, Bob. Amazing stuff indeed, Andy. So, uh, well, nevertheless, uh, we move forward. And where's the money coming from, by the way? Where do, where do we get $760 billion uh, to, to, to do this uh, to this fund? Which they say they're going to recover it with taxes, but I don't think so. When you think about the Laffer curve, when you start increasing the tax rate, what you end up doing is reducing the revenue because people do workarounds. They're trying to figure out how to pay less taxes. There's no doubt, and all of this is built with a presumption, I guess it's most people's presumption, not necessarily mine, that uh, paying more taxes and increasing the tax revenues is a good thing. I don't necessarily see that. Uh, some of these some of these taxes are certainly, I, I would even say most of these taxes are ill-spent. Right. Uh, so again, I at this point, uh, I am paying taxes like many Americans, not based on the moral imperative, but the legal imperative. I don't want to get arrested, Bob. Absolutely. Plain and simply. Well, so I feel a moral obligation in this current America to pay my taxes, not the slightest, Bob. Yeah. So uh, before I let you go, any uh, comments about Mar-a-Lago? Well, uh, just in the time we have available, I'd like to uh, cite the obvious violation of the Fourth Amendment that took place here. The Fourth Amendment says the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. Right. Obviously, that that has happened. It also says no warrants shall, shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. So, I mean, here you have the Fourth Amendment just screaming loudly that the entire process, in terms of it being imposed on citizen, President, ex-President Donald Trump, citizen, President, ex-President Donald Trump, is obviously unconstitutional, Bob. Yeah, no question, Andy. And really, uh, uh, it, well, by the way, it's so interesting, I don't know if you're aware that this weekend they, the pit uh, 
was uh, uh, was held, and apparently the, these are the people that made uh, uh, all got all the information for two thousand mules, and so they had another session, and apparently the re reveal was done secretly because the information could be so damaging, and and uh, also people have to be concerned about their own lives and well being. But uh, apparently there's uh, information now coming out of this, and I can't confirm it, but uh, apparently, first of all, that China was deeply involved in our elections in 2020, and the FBI. <laughs> well, I'm certainly not surprised by either of those. Uh, China had met its most significant adversary in, in Donald Trump. The FBI, it's, it's probably worth repeating, has become so politicized that there are more and more voices that are calling for the disbanding or at least minimal defunding of the FBI, certainly the elimination of most of the top leadership. Uh, that voice, I had originally published a blog in 2017 calling for the disbanding of the FBI based on circumstances at that point, and now those, those circumstances are, are ten times more dramatic. So I think, uh, I doubt the Congress will get to the point of courage of doing that. But again, that voice for, for doing it, I think, is growing right now, Bob. Absolutely. Andy, I wish we had more time today, but I've re really appreciated your participation and contribution to the show. Again, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Thank and you so don't much. Don't hesitate to pay for breakfast if you want to, Bob. <laughs> no, no, next time you do. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show, Andy. All right, Bob. All right, well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got a great program lined up for you tomorrow. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.